Good morning, church. Today we're reading from Ecclesiastes 9.13 through 10.20, so I'm going to be up here for a minute. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. Though there was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses, and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall in it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through the wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man can know what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm glad. Good, Luna. My name is Marco, as Luna just said, and I am the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be with you this morning. If you are new, we are walking through this series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And before I get into it, uh, in the event that you didn't get to hear Jay or follow him, we're going to find ourselves in Ecclesiastes 9, beginning in verse 13, and we're covering all of it through chapter 10, begin, uh, ending in verse 20. So a nice big chunk of scripture. We have a lot of work ahead of us, uh, but you'll see that it all connects. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Uh, if you are new once more, we'd love to hang out with you or simply have the opportunity to pray for you. And so I would invite you to fill out a connect card, drop it in the connect desk, and one of us will get with you uh, very, very soon. In addition to that, if you do not have a Bible, let us hook you up. That is our gift to you. We love to preach out of God's word. 
Well, let me give you a little bit of a summary of where we've been. This book was written more than likely by King Solomon, who is King David's son. And Ecclesiastes, we can say it this way, tend to be his memoirs. This is like his personal journal, and he is providing us with conclusions at living life under the sun. That is, the meaning of life or living uh, a life in a broken world. In this book, we have uh, uh, walked through, we have explored the various paradoxes of life. That is, that you and I will experience hardship, suffering. We will have doubts that we're all going to face, while at the same time, you and I will experience sweet moments of life whether it's through meals at a table, embracing opportunity that comes your way, or simply the relationships that you and I have been given, you and I are gonna experience that. But all of that, as what Solomon says, all of that is vanity. That is, it is a breath, it is vapor, it goes so quickly. All of it is vanity if the one who is able to give us joy is not at the heart of this life that we walk through. Simply, it is because of God that as we examine life under the sun, we can look ahead to the Lord Jesus who entered into this world, who entered into our vanity, our paradox, our complexities, and live a life that you and I can't live. Die a death that you and I deserve while offering us the grace of salvation that you and I cannot earn. It is through his life under the sun that you and I can live through the sun, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and set our hopes above the sun. Today is a topic that is not a stranger to us throughout this study, throughout this series, and that is the topic of wisdom. After all, Ecclesiastes is considered a part of wisdom literature in the Bible. And by way of a brief reminder, it's at this point in the book where Solomon's tone has changed and has begun providing us with the application to all of the conclusions he's drawn from his life. Last week, as we covered uh, chapters 8 and 9, I mentioned that the rest of the book is all practical application. It is wisdom in practical living. And so as a result, let me ask you a question I've asked you many times. Do you pray for wisdom? We have defined wisdom as spiritual depth perception. That is, the ability to comprehend the consequences to your decisions before you make them. In Ecclesiastes, we have seen that there is earthly wisdom and then there is a wisdom that comes from above. Earthly wisdom can only get you so far because primarily it is man-centered. That is, it can rest in relativism. And if you're wondering what that is, in a nutshell, it is truth is what I say it is. In addition to that, uh, the motivation for this earthly wisdom isn't always for the good of others. While wisdom that is from above is Christ-centered. That is where truth is founded upon the word and work and promises of God. 
Both of these wisdoms inform you how to live and how to make decisions, but only one of those is the result of a renewed heart. So, let us consider this big text this morning. We have a lot of Proverbs type language that we have to work through. It should be fun. It should be interesting. Uh, we'll see how it goes and we see, we'll see what God has for us today. Let me pray and then we will dig into this big text. All right. Almighty God, may we draw near to you this morning. Lord, we are in need of wisdom and your word tells us to ask for wisdom and faith. Therefore, with fragile, weary, and I pray humble hearts, would you grant us wisdom this morning? This week has been heartbreaking, Lord. And so through your wisdom, would you comfort us so that we would walk and act in wisdom and grace? In your grace, would you comfort and strengthen the families and community of Uvalde this morning? Words cannot express our grief for the parents and children, and therefore we look to you. Holy Spirit, we look to you to bring about peace, comfort, and counsel. Your word says that you are near the brokenhearted. Be there for them today. Be their comfort today. Holy Spirit, take us to Jesus this morning. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, well, let's get started. As we consider this text, we're almost immediately going to launch into practical lessons that God through Solomon teaches us concerning wisdom. In total, we're going to consider six principles on the way of wisdom. But before we begin, for a moment, I want you to consider verse 13. So let's jump uh, right to that. Solomon begins verse 13 by saying, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. When Solomon writes phrases like this, uh, everything that he is telling us or everything that Solomon is sharing with his paper and in turn with us is based on events and happenings that he's actually experienced. He's not simply trying to be creative in his writing. Uh, He's uh, laying out not just any of his findings, but he's laying out personal conclusions. Therefore, let us consider six principles on the way of wisdom. We're going to look at the strength and impact of wisdom. We're going to look at wisdom in character and integrity, the wisdom in speech, the wisdom in deeds, wisdom in maturity, and then finally wisdom in our thoughts. Don't worry, this list will be on the screen. I think probably you will be able to follow along. I'll remind you if you're taking notes. We're not there just yet. Before we dive in, there's one thing to note. Not only are some of these examples observations we've already covered in this series, the breakdown particularly of chapter 10 isn't as neat as I'm trying to make it. 
chapter 10 is one of the most structurally confusing chapters in this book. In a nutshell, Solomon seems to be scatterbrained. And that's not just coming from me, that's coming from uh, some scholars who all say the same thing. He seems to be scatterbrained in this chapter. In fact, in some of the commentaries that I read for our study, I've I've uh, three out of the five commentaries in Ecclesiastes that I have read skip chapter 10, okay? So it's just a little confusing. We're going to try to make it as neat as possible. What, what you're going to see is that Solomon is essentially dumping all of his thoughts as he's about to conclude these memoirs. And he for, it, if he forgets about something at the beginning and then remembers it at the end, he just dumps it on the paper. And maybe you've, you've done some of that. You're like in the zone writing something, whether it's your grocery list or something in your journal, and it's something really, really good, and you totally forget about it. And at the end, as you're about to finish, you just dump this random thought that makes absolutely no sense to the context that you've already been writing in. That's chapter 10. So we'll see how it goes. If some of these things sound a little repetitive, now you know, all right? Well, let's begin with the first one, and this is the strength of, of, of wisdom and the impact that wisdom has. This is beginning in verse 13. Um, actually, verse 14, he goes on to say, there was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Okay? So he's going to give us examples by way of imagery and illustration. And in this first one, he's going to teach us about the strength of wisdom. In this section, he tells us that wisdom is stronger than might. It is stronger than weapons of war. And the impact wisdom has on a city, on a people, is significant. And so in this example of this city that is under siege, Solomon gives us three characters. He gives us a king. He gives us a few men, and then he gives us a poor, wise man. When it comes to the king, this king is trying to take over the city with power and might and strength. He's uh, arrogant. He is boastful. In fact, at the end of, of this section, he goes on to say, one sinner, this is verse 18, one sinner destroys much good. And so whatever is good in the city is being destroyed by this king as he's trying to conquer the city and people. So that's the first character. The second set of characters are a few men. These are a few men that are found in the city. And Solomon tells us that they are outnumbered, outstrengthened, and outgunned. That's about as much as we know. And then finally, he tells us about a poor wise man. And this poor wise man delivers the city through his wisdom. Now, we don't know how he rescues the city. We're not, we're not told. We're not given the details. But what we do know is that the wisdom he carried out was stronger than the shouting of a king. Once more, verse 17, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Whatever it is this individual sought, maybe he sought prayer and then won favor and got a hearing with this king. Maybe he was just able to work out some contacts to get his way to a place of influence. We don't know. But what we do know is that this individual's wisdom was stronger than the weapons of war being used on the city. 
And as a result, the impact his wisdom had on the city and its people was that it was saved and that the city did not fall. In this same example, Solomon gives us the reality or maybe the the unfortunate reality of this man's wisdom. Go back to verse, this is verse 15, verse 16. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. And the verse before he says that the the poor wise man was not remembered. Here's kind of the the unfortunate result of, of wisdom. Though wisdom is stronger than might, there is no guarantee of appreciation or remembrance. Though wisdom is stronger than weapons of war, though wisdom is stronger than any kind of muscle you front, there is no guarantee of appreciation or remembrance. The poor wise man was not only forgotten as many legends are forgotten today, but his words went unappreciated. When you see the words despised and unheard, that's what he's alluding to. And so here's the takeaway of the the strength of wisdom. As you apply wisdom to circumstances, to situations, do you do so for your own remembrance, for your own recognition, for your own appreciation, or for the good of others in spite of whether or not you're remembered? He gives us this cold, hard fact. Hey, wisdom is stronger than weapons of war, but it is no guarantee that you will be remembered. It is no guarantee that you will be appreciated. Therefore, Christian, when you exercise wisdom, do you exercise wisdom for the good of others or for your own personal self-gratification? So wisdom, the strength of wisdom when it comes to the good of others. Number two, wisdom in character and integrity. This is beginning in chapter 10. We're going to go verses 1 through 3. Here's what he writes. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. It's true. This, uh, this, this week, we were here, like our staff team was here, and LC made herself a cup of coffee, and all of us can smell the coffee, and it smelled so good, right? And then I noticed that Elsie hadn't been drinking her coffee, and then I like, go over to the corner of the table, and there's two dead flies in it, right? Like, it just ruins it. It just ruined that cup of coffee, right? We're going to get into what this means, but nevertheless, you get the imagery, Okay? Wisdom and character and integrity. Character is who you are and what you can be counted on to do. If some of you already heard that example and you're like, oh, yeah, that's protein. That's why you don't have friends. Like, that's, it's just, that's gross. Right? So, ca- never mind. Back to this. Character is who you are and what you can be counted on to do. Integrity is who you are when no one else is around. These two are paramount qualities in the teaching of the Bible. And what he tells us in this, in that second section, he says, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Essentially, what he's telling us is that it doesn't take a lot for these two qualities to be ruined, to be questioned. 
A little folly ruins wisdom and honor. It's hard to come back from it. It ruins the perfume. It ruins the coffee just like flies do. I used to have this band director in junior high. His name was Mr. Gonzalez. He was kind of cool. Anyway, and when we would be practicing, he would get this glass of like, uh, you'd get a glass of water. And he would show us the water and he would say, I want you to sound like this water looks clean, crisp, unison, right? Here we are, a bunch of sixth graders, seventh graders. And he says, that's how I want you to sound. Now, if I were to drop a little bit of mud, would it be as clean and crisp and clear? You know, all of us are like sixth graders, like, no, of course not. He's like, yeah, that's how I don't want you to sound, right? That's kind of the idea here that a little bit ruins a lot. A little bit brings into question. And if it's like, well, really? Well, Solomon gives us a contrast between the heart of the wise and the heart of the foolish, and this all goes back to character. In the next couple of verses, uh, this is verses two through three, when you read the word heart, he's referring to their character. That is the way they, they think. And so he goes on in verse two, a wise man heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Oftentimes when you hear the phrase, uh, the right, uh, when you hear it in scripture, it has to do with strength and salvation and security or, or simply wisdom. That is, the wise listen to those who are wise. The wise listen to counsel. They listen to the way of wisdom. The wise rest in truth. They evaluate themselves, their hearts, and their walk. Whereas the fool, the one who goes to the left, lacks common sense, lacks wisdom, and by his actions shows everyone else that he is a fool. Verse 3, even when a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Everyone can see that this individual is foolish, that lacks common sense, except to himself. Except to himself. In short, a little bit of folly ruins character and integrity, but wisdom renews it. Number three, wisdom in speech. Here's where it gets a little confusing. This is verses four through seven, and then we're going to look at verses 12 through 15. The context of these sections tends to be, he's going back to the, the, the illustration of that of a, or the imagery of that of a king. So it tends to be having to do something with leadership. But nevertheless, it will apply to you and I this morning. Well, in this section, we can see that the Bible has much to say about our tongue and, and the difficulty that comes with taming it. Uh, let's look at verse 4. He goes on to say, If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. The Bible tells us a lot about the difficulty of taming our tongue. But once more, just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's impossible. After all, the purpose of taming the tongue isn't just so that we wouldn't say foolish things, but so that you and I would be sanctified, so that we would be more like Jesus and less of ourselves putting our sin to death. 
Additionally, when we tame our tongues, we do so so that we would cultivate the spiritual gift of listening, one that many of us desperately need to work on. And we're going to touch on that in just a minute. Let's keep on unpacking some of this context. In this section, Solomon tells us something that isn't fair. Let's go to verse 5. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on ground, on the ground like slaves. Here's what he's saying. Life isn't fair. And I don't like that. I don't like that life isn't fair because as much as you and I have been warned against folly, sometimes folly, foolish people, foolish leaders are oddly at the top of things and it shouldn't be that way. Sometimes foolish leaders, foolish people are in leadership positions, government offices, they hold influential platforms and it just shouldn't be that way. And that's what he's observing. That seems to be the context. And so he provides us with wisdom for our speech with this contrast between the one who is ruling and is foolish and the one who is wise and uses his words carefully. So back to verse four where he says, the anger of a ruler rises against you. What should you and I do? He answers by saying, calmness will lay great offenses to rest. What what does that mean? In short, Solomon is saying, do not fight folly with folly. Do not fight folly with folly. Instead, and we're gonna come back to this, instead, pray earnestly. Learn in humility. Act wisely. Pray earnestly. Learn with humility. And act wisely. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul addresses Timothy and those in the congregation he's leading, and he tells them, pray for all of your leaders who are in office, those who have authority over you. This has to deal with leadership and, and, and authority, and what Solomon is saying is, hey, don't fight folly with folly. Rather, as we, you and I, look to 1 Timothy, pray instead for those in positions of authority. Pray earnestly. So some of y'all don't pray earnestly. You just post repetitively. Pray earnestly for those in uh, positions of authority. You might say, well, they're a fool. Yes, that's why we're going to pray earnestly for them. We're going to learn in humility. And when it's time to act, we're going to act quickly and wisely. It doesn't mean ignore. Prayer does not mean to ignore those who are in positions of authority as if you have some sort of self-righteousness because you know some truth no one else does. Pray earnestly. And here's where he gives us the contrast. This is in verses 12 to 15, right? Because the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. 
Well, what is that favor? It could be that he wins influence. It could be that he wins a hearing. It could be that he just wins over the people who don't know Jesus and seem to be in that power of authority. It is only Christians who have the power to overthrow what is going on because we have been given the gift of prayer. They win favor. But what do fools do? The fool can't stop talking doesn't know when to stop talking, always has a reason to be talking, and doesn't know a time when they weren't talking. You're like, well, I don't really say that. Fine, maybe you just share a lot on social media. Apply it to that. This is actually a really good chapter for social media. We'll talk about that in a minute. So perhaps you're that fool. Maybe you would be like, well, I don't say anything, but your posts say otherwise. Let us be reminded of the words of Jesus in Luke 6, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Continuing in verse 13, he says, the beginning of the words of his mouth, he's talking about the fool, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. Just above that, he writes, but the lips of a fool consume him. A fool is consumed. Their lips, essentially what he's saying, their lips reveal their hearts. For us, it would be your posts, right? Our posts reveal our hearts. Well, how? How, how do our lips reveal our hearts? How may our, even what we post reveal? Well, let's look at it. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. So the first thing is that he says, how does it reveal your hearts? First, whatever it is you're saying is unwise. Maybe it's not even bad. Maybe it might be good, but it's unwise. Uh, you post or you say something out of compulsion. You don't really think about it. You don't consider who's around you. You don't consider the people that you're with. You don't consider perhaps the repercussions it might have on what you say. The fool is unwise in their speech. And then their speech leads them to sinful actions. That's where he writes, the end of his talk is evil madness. That word madness just means uh, sinful or perverse actions. That it's not just unwise what he has said. Now the fool begins to follow through with what they've just said, and it leads to sin. Additionally, he says that it, it's unwise, it leads to sinful actions, and that they speak so much that they speak of the future as if they know the future. Verse 14, a fool multiplies his words, just keeps talking, a lot of empty speech, a lot of hot air. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. He speaks of the future as if he knows it. Speaks of the future as he has confidence. And Solomon is saying, hey, in the last few pages of my memoirs, I've told you, no one knows what is to come. And then finally, the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. All of this empty talk, all of this hot speech, all of this uh, not necessarily looking at who's around them, what ends up happening is that they lead themselves and those around them astray. They're stranded. All because the fool talks too much. So, are you a fool? How is it that you find favor? 
Do you listen when others speak to you and respond with gracious speech? Or are you simply ready to fire back? Are you the fool or are you the wise? Number four. Now we move from wise speech to wise deeds. Uh, And in short, this section, this is verses 8 through 11. Uh, This is just wisdom for practical living. And you'll see in a moment. Uh, Perhaps as we look through these examples by way of, like they're essentially like accidents, maybe he's still talking about the kings he's been writing about, or maybe he's just giving us lessons that he's learned along the way. Uh, Nevertheless, he gives us five accidents (laughs) that need wisdom. I'm sure we can all attest to them. I'm going to read them. Uh, This is verses 8 through 11. Um, He who digs a pit will fall into it. Sounds pretty wise. A serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. Wisdom helps one to succeed. We'll cover that. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer, right? So we got five accidents. Digging a pit, breaking a wall, carrying stones, splitting logs, swinging an ax. I think that's five. Start with the first one. And I get it. Some of you might be like, oh, what does this mean in my life? Like, what is God going to do with this? Just stay with me. Just stay with me, all right? First one is digging a pit. A good rule of thumb, a good, a good proverb of our day is measure twice, cut once, right? You, you use that in woodworking and I'm sure other uh, fields of whatever you do, hobbies. Perhaps that's what Solomon means, right? In other words, if you're not careful or you're not paying attention to what you have going on around you or what you're doing, whether it's in the context of a project, a job, people, work, family, if you're not paying attention to what you have going around you, if you're not aware, if you're not alert, you're going to slip up. We can look at it very literal, right? Like if you're digging a hole in your backyard, be careful. I mean, that's good wisdom. I'm not saying, like, maybe there isn't really this, like, super dense spirituality that comes with it. If you dig a hole, be careful, right? But also, at the same time, be aware. Be aware of who's around you, where you are, what's going on. Otherwise, you might slip. The second one is breaking a wall. And there's a snake in there. I don't think uh, we're planning on charming snakes anytime soon. But in Solomon's day, there were stones everywhere. Houses were made of stones. Stones were laid out everywhere. And essentially, what is happening here, this, this proverb is, hey, if you're going to do something, make, again, if we take it literally, he's like, hey, if you're going to build that house, make sure you check for snakes. Because sometimes when you move some stones, a snake's going to come out. It's going to bite you. You're going to die. Cool. That's good wisdom, right? Like if you're in the hill country and you're walking around and you hear a rattle, okay, that should be like you start backing off, right? Like there's some wisdom to, to some of that stuff, right? <clears throat> but essentially, one way that we can look at this is if you don't double check the things that maybe you're invested in, if you're, if you're uh, building a house, what is the significant part of building a house? You gotta check the foundation. If the foundation isn't good, it's gonna have repercussions for later on. 
if the things that you're invested in, decisions that you need to make, if you are not considering some of the consequences, some of the repercussions, some of the results, some of the outcomes that might happen immediately or later on, you're going to be like that dude who didn't check for snakes behind that rock. And therefore, the outcome is going to be devastating. And so in verse 11, he, he, he says, if the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. Because you didn't check, you didn't get to dance with the snake. Because you didn't get to dance with the snake, the snake got mad. Because it got mad, it bit you. Because it bit you, you're dead, right? Like that tends to be kind of the, the, the idea that Solomon is giving here. But when it comes to us, it's like, hey, if you're not actually considering your decisions your context, the ramifications, good or bad, of what is to come, there can be devastation in the outcome. The next one is carrying stones, right? He says it really fancy, right? Uh, he who quarries stones is hurt by them, right? Quarry just means carrying. Uh, lift with your legs, not with your back. That's it. Um, why? Because you can throw your back out, right? Again, this is just like, if we're looking at, at it literal, right? If you're around the house, if you're doing projects and you got to lift some stuff, either get some help or be careful what you're lifting because your back's going to go out. Well, how do we apply this to, to practical life? One, that is very practical. That is wise living. But in addition to that, I would say it this way, like you need to consider capacity, you need to consider your capacity. Some of you love saying yes to everything and you just want to throw it on and you're burning the candle at both ends and what's going to happen is, figuratively speaking, your back is going to go out. All because you do not consider or measure your capacity. Maybe because you think you, think you still got that youthful zeal. Cool, that's great. Doesn't really help if your back is thrown out. Next one. The next one is, he who splits logs is endangered by them. Look, logging is a dangerous job. I've never been a logger, but I've seen cartoons. So logging is a, is a dangerous job. Lots of accidents can happen if you're not careful, right? Because you can get seriously injured. If we're looking at it at face value, right, you can get seriously injured when, when, when it comes to logging. Or, or even worse, you death, right? Well, how? I don't know, man. If you've ever been cutting those big trees, those suckers can fall on you. I mean, that'll ruin your day. You know what I'm saying? Uh, or on top of that, if you're using an axe and the axe head isn't on there properly and you're swinging that sucker, what can happen? It can come off and hit you in the head. Have you ever been hit in the head by an axe head or just an axe? That happened in two contexts. One was like strength training, and I was just trying to win, and we were like hitting, the, we had the sledgehammer on a tire, and that sucker just came straight up right in the middle of my forehead. Another time, we were like making, with decorations in the house, Rebecca and I were doing stuff, and she or I or someone left the hammer at the top of a ladder, and I saw the hammer, and I was like, I could totally move this ladder without the hammer falling, and the hammer fell, and it hurt, right? Like... <laughs> It, it, it stinks. It'll ruin your day, right? And so what he is saying is if you're not careful, again, 
you can have some devastating consequences in the things that you are investing yourselves in, in the decisions that you want to make, in the things that you're considering, in the, the projects that you're involved in, the work that you find yourself in. There can be some devastating consequences if you're not actually considering what's going on. Right? If you just run at it without checking, if you just run at it without applying wisdom, something's going to happen. And then finally, the last one, which is the dull axe. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. This is the individual who grabs the axe and just starts swinging away, and eventually the axe grows dull, and now they're just swinging away out of stubbornness and arrogance, right? They're tercos, and so they're just like doing the same thing over and over again. Less work, more energy is being put, as opposed to just taking a little bit of time and sharpening the axe. There was this illustration that someone gave me a long time ago. I was like trying to think of the names just so that it makes sense. And there are these two lumberjacks. The names I came up with was Bob and Miguel. And so you got these two lumberjacks. And uh, Bob tells Miguel at the start of the day, he says, hey, uh, whoever, you want to you place a bet. Whoever can cut down the most trees wins, whatever. And Miguel was like, yeah, solid, let's do it. So they go out into the forest, they start swinging away, and Bob's out there like hacking away at all of these trees. And every once in a while, Bob turns over to check on Miguel to see how Miguel's proce- progress is going. And every once in a while, every time he turns over, he sees Miguel sitting down. And so Bob's like, man, this guy's the worst. And so he keeps on cutting, keeps on cutting, looks over, Miguel is sitting down again. End of the day comes, Miguel has more logs than Bob, or more trees. Bob's like, bro, what's up? Like I was cutting all day. What were you doing? Every time I looked over, you were sitting down. And Miguel tells Bob, every time you turned around and I was sitting down, I was sharpening my axe. Work smarter, not harder. I mean, you should work hard. But you know what I mean. All right, five accidents, right? Five daily things. What's, what's the point of all of these? What's the point? The point is, Wisdom in the ordinary matters. Wisdom in the small things matters. Wisdom in the ordinary, wisdom in the daily, wisdom in the now. Oftentimes, when Christians think about wisdom, most of the time Christians are thinking about wisdom in the context of really big decisions. Career changes, transitions, relationships, these really, really big decisions. And those are good, and those are important, and we need wisdom in that. And what this part of the text teaches us is we also need wisdom in ordinary life, in daily, small, ordinary, mundane occurrences. You and I need wisdom. Number five, wisdom in maturity. This is 16 to 19. Once more, another contrast. He opens up verse, six, verse 16 by saying, woe to you. And then verse 17, by happy are you. So there's, there's a contrast of two kingdoms, two kings. right? And he's going to tell us about these two kings. The first one is, <clears throat> he goes on to say, Woe to you, O land, verse 16, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. That's the first king. The second king, he says, happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility 
and your princes feast at the proper time. The imagery here that he uses for the sake of maturity. When it comes to the first king, he goes on to call him a child. A child is immature. A child doesn't know how to protect people, how to guard people, how to lead people, much less often lead themselves. They are immature. And so he goes on and says, Woe to you when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. So here is this child king who doesn't consider his kingdom, who isn't considering his people, and is only considering uh, like his friends in the moment. And when he says feasting in the morning, that's actually a, a bad thing. It's not like he's talking about breakfast. What he's saying is, uh, uh, woe to you because your princes feast in the morning. He, he is saying like this guy is so about himself and partying that they wake up and they start partying and they start eating and they start drinking so that when responsibilities come, when action is needed, when war happens, this dude doesn't do anything because they're all drunk and their bellies are filled. In other words, he runs away from responsibility. That's the problem with this child king. Some of you kind of get that when responsibility is needed uh, from you for you to take action, you want to run away. Man, you're all about the moment, but as soon as responsibility comes your way, you start backing off. And Solomon goes on to expand on this, right? He says, woe to you, uh, your princes feast in the morning. In other words, they're not prepped for battle. They're not prepped to serve. They are unable to help the people. Verse 18, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. So there's this king drinking, hanging out with his friends, partying, just living in the now, YOLO, and the responsibilities that he has are being ignored. And so his ruin is not just as a result of laziness and, and, and slothfulness, his ruin is a slow leak. That it may not happen right then and there, but eventually it will happen. And he continues, and a lot of people love this other verse. Verse 19, bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, money answers everything. In the context of this illustration, it seems to be kind of negative, right? It's not like Solomon is against wine, is against money, because we've covered that these past couple of chapters. But here, here's this king with his boys, and he is ignoring responsibility, and instead he is uh, eating just so that he can laugh it off and enjoy the time, ignore responsibilities. He's drinking so that he can get drunk and ignore what he has to do, ignore the people he has been called to serve. Money answers everything. Like, that's as far as his life goes goes. It's just possession. Things that he can buy, things that he can do right then and there, that's as far as his life goes. And his ruin is his immaturity. But then you have another king. Verse 17, happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility. Here's a king who is mature and exercises wisdom for the good of others. He says, your princes feast at the proper time for strength. Man, they get some really good food, but they get some really good food as a result of what they've been doing, 
so that they can continue to not just enjoy the moment, but serve those that they've been called to. Your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So they might enjoy the moment with themselves, but they have other people in mind. His strength is exercising self-control, wisdom, maturity. He exercises wisdom for the good and benefit and blessings of others. The other king, the child king, runs away from responsibility, embraces slothfulness, does not consider those under his care, and his ruin is his immaturity. This isn't just something for like younger individuals. You can, you can be an older individual and lack maturity. How do you think you're doing in this area? Number six, wisdom and thinking. Verse 20, this is where we'll finish. He writes, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Right? It seems as though perhaps maybe the phrase, a little birdie told me, came from Ecclesiastes. One writer says it this way, we all must understand that talk is the acid test of wisdom. This is what we're going to see what we're really about. To his disciples, Jesus went on to say, this is Luke 12, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed out on the housetops. You see, the fool finds folly because of their thoughts. In other words, they curse others. Because of their words, they gossip about others. They slander others. And because of their actions, right? We saw that it leads to madness. Have you ever been on social media or you've read about this on social media where an individual sent a bad email or made a bad post and it just ruined their reputation for the rest of their career? The wise are protected because of their thoughts and words and actions because they actually win them favor, a good outcome. They use their words honorably. So whether it's solely in your thoughts or in the privacy of your home, wisdom and thinking applies to the revelation of your integrity. Wisdom in thinking reveals your integrity. I'll say it that way. Be careful what you say and share. Use your words honorably. Even in privacy, exercise wisdom for the benefit, blessing, and good of others. The great prophet Arsenio Hall said, everyone forgets a bad joke, but no one forgets a bad attitude. We should all pray for wisdom. 
Not simply so that we would make good, godly, and right decisions, but for the sake of the way in which we walk and for the benefit, blessing, and good of others. Wisdom is valuable, but it can be corrupted. Earthly wisdom is man-centered, while heavenly wisdom is Christ-centered. And so as we close, whether it's the strength of wisdom or wisdom applied to our character, our deeds, our speech, our maturity, or our thinking, wisdom or the lack of it reveals who we are. It reveals your heart and how you think of others. And so where do we go for wisdom? This is where the comfort of Ecclesiastes not being the final word comes in because although in this chapter God is not once mentioned, this text takes us directly to Jesus. See, Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our wisdom. The wisest decision that you and I could ever make is to believe and surrender ourselves to the beauty and lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus never made a foolish decision. In fact, in his life, one went on to say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus was the poor wise man who did something no one thought he would or could do, and that was live a sinless life and died in place of sinners. The one who knew no sin became sin for our sake. That's the wisdom of God. The cross looks like foolishness to the world, but it was God's plan for our salvation. And through this, Jesus has conquered sin and death. Apart from Jesus, hope is jaded because hope is wishful thinking under the sun. But in Jesus, our hope is not simply in the Son that is the Lord Jesus, but it is also above the Son. Jesus is the Son of nobility who entered into our world and has delivered us from the penalty of sin and promises us the feast that is to come at the proper time. And in the meanwhile, the small meals that we share give us a slice of what is to come. Christ-centered wisdom is what enables us to live life under the sun because of the Son, Jesus Christ. And so as we close, Christian, I know you love Jesus, but have you been foolish lately? Has your heart been consumed? Has your heart consumed you with foolish thoughts, foolish words, foolish action? Are you in need of the wisdom of Jesus? Then turn to him this morning. I invite you to, to repent by his grace for you. Seek the wisdom that is above. Jesus has held it out to you. And if you don't know Jesus, I love that you're here. Thank you for joining us. And the wisdom that you walk in sells your life short. For apart from a Christ-centered wisdom, satisfaction and joy are sold separately. But in Christ, you can have the wisdom of God for you to walk a life renewed through faith and repentance.
Christ-centered wisdom focuses on the person and work of Jesus. Let us be a people that walks and seeks after his wisdom. Let's pray. Almighty God, it is by your redeeming grace that we have hope. It is your redeeming grace that restores us to you, that has restored us to you, to one another, and has restored our hearts. But Lord, if if we are honest, we still desire to walk in our own wisdom, to walk in a way that is contrary to what you have done for us and what you show us through your word. And that is a result of so much. That is a result of hurt. That is a result of ache. It is a result of doubt. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would draw near to us. And that in faith, we would ask and receive wisdom. Therefore, as our time comes to an end, may we confess our sin before you. May we confess where we have rejected you, Jesus, where we have rejected our brothers and sisters, where we have ignored uh, the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. Strengthen us by your grace so that we may walk in wisdom because of Jesus. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you this morning. Amen.